Welcome to the markets. Dateline Chicago, Friday, March 6. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, Orion Samuelson with you to take a look at probably one of the most unusual weeks I've seen in world market activity in all my career. And I can sum up the whole week with one word, coronavirus. It had an impact on every market traded around the world this week. And as we ended the week, it looked like it's not all over yet. So let's first of all take a look at Friday and the market activity for the end of the week. Stock market, of course, fell. Fears of economic damage from the spread of the coronavirus intensified. Although Wall Street's major indices did end well above their session lows. The S&P 500 posted its 10th decline in 12 sessions as moves to contain the virus crippled supply chains, prompted a sharp cut to global economic growth forecasts for 2020, really impacted the travel industry. They have been suffering ever since this began spreading. Since its record close, its closing high on February 19th, that was a record. The benchmark index has lost more than 12%, wiping out $3.43 trillion from its market capitalization. Even so, for the week, the S&P 500, along with the Dow, Industrial Average, and the NASDAQ, posted a modest gain as stocks today cut losses late in the session. Comments from Federal Reserve officials about the possibility of using some other tools in addition to the interest rate cut that we saw this week to blunt the economic impact of the virus helped stocks erase declines toward the end of the trading session. But one analyst said, Nonetheless, it's very unclear what the economic impact will be. Yields on long-dated U.S. Treasuries fell to record lows as investors fled to bonds whose prices move inversely to their yields. The drop in Treasury yields weighed heavily on shares of financial companies, which tumbled 3 and a third percent. Shares of cruise operators Carnival Corporation and Royal Caribbean Cruises slid after Reuters reported the administration was considering ways to discourage U.S. travelers from taking cruises. Carnival shares fell 2.6%. Royal Caribbean shares dropped 1.2%. And another analyst said the decline today is all about the efforts to contain the spread of the virus. Data showing a strong pace of hiring in February largely went ignored, given that the data captured little of the impact from the coronavirus. A sharp downturn in later economic and corporate earnings data would likely strike a further blow to U.S. markets. The Dow Industrial Average dropped 256 points today. That was a lot better than its opening, and it was down 
0.98%, ending at 25,864. The S&P 500 lost 51 points, or 1.7%, to 2,972. And the NASDAQ dropped 163 points, or 1.87%, to end the day and the week at 8,575. For the week, the S&P gained just six-tenths of a percent. The Dow added 1.8%, and the NASDAQ rose just a tenth of a percent. All 11 S&P sectors ended lower today, led by a 5.6% drop in energy stocks. And the CBO Volatility Index, that's the one we call the fear gauge, the worry factor on Wall Street, hit its highest level since August of 2015. That happened during the session today, but it pulled back as stocks cut their losses. And so it ended two and a third points higher at 41.94 today. Couple of stocks, Starbucks shares down 1.1% after the coffee chain said it expected its sales in China in the quarter ending in March to fall by 50% in stores open for at least a year. And Costco Wholesale Corporation shares down 1.4% as it said it was struggling to keep up with demand for essentials, including disinfectants. And, of course, it wasn't just the U.S. market. Let's take a quick look at what uh, Reuters had to say about bond markets today. Yields on U.S. Treasuries plunged to historic lows because, again, of coronavirus and uh, concern over the slamming of the the global economy, driving investors to snap up risk assets and or risk adverse assets and dump equities the 10-year treasury uh, yield fell to a record low of 0.69 percent as new milestones were set across the u.s bond market which this week has seen some of its biggest moves in years as the pandemic spreads across china oil wasn't left out of the down picture either Brent oil slid to its biggest daily loss in more than 11 years today after Russia balked at OPEC's proposed steep production cuts to stabilize prices hit by economic fallout from, yes, coronavirus. More than 1 million U.S. crude contracts changed hands during the session as the three-year pact between OPEC and Russia ended in acrimony and without any success. One analyst said prices plunged because the OPEC confab ended up being an epic fall and failure on the part of everyone involved. Russia has clearly decided to employ a scorched earth approach to the oil market, every country for itself. And uh, it was the uh, Brent's Lower lowest closing since June of night of 2017. Brent futures uh, down four dollars seventy two cents to settle at forty five dollars twenty seven cents a barrel, and U.S. crude dropped four dollars sixty two cents to forty one dollars twenty eight cents. 
its lowest close since August of 2016, and the largest daily percentage loss in the U.S. crude price since November of 2014. So let's put all of that behind us, if we can, and take a look at what to watch for next week, in addition to the ongoing coronavirus situation. Uh, First of all, on Monday, data on Canada's housing starts for February and building permits for January will be out. And uh, yeah, we have to keep a track on what's happening in our neighbors to the north. Investors, of course, next week will keep a close eye on the impact of coronavirus in the United States and other regions. The uh, United States wasn't the only one to cut interest rates this week. The Fed, of course, did that and surprised a lot of people in the market. But Canada, at the end of the week, doing the same thing, cutting the interest rate in our neighbors to the north. The U.S. economic calendar next week, the Consumer Price Index and Producer Price Index will be among the major indicators which investors will watch out. Uh, Data on Wednesday, the Consumer Price Index likely flat in February. And uh, looking at some of the other reports on Thursday, the Producer Price Index expected to show a tenth of a percent dip in February. Tuesday, Wells Fargo CEO Charlie Scharf is scheduled to testify before the House Financial Services Committee. That's the first in a series of hearings about the bank's 2016 sales practices scandal. Broadcom on Thursday expected to report an increase in first quarter revenue driven by demand for its infrastructure software. Software company Adobe is scheduled to report first quarter results on Thursday, along with Oracle Corporation, which is scheduled to report third quarter results. Thursday, Dollar General Stores expected to post an increase in fourth quarter same-store sales and revenue, helped by remodeled stores and the addition of new private label products. Wednesday, Canada's capacity utilization data for the fourth quarter expected to drop to 80.8%, down from 81.7%. And China's Pinduo Duo Incorporated Wednesday expected to post a jump in its fourth quarter revenue. Investors will be looking at whether the e-commerce company's business is being affected by, yes, you guessed it, by the coronavirus epidemic. In a couple of reports this week, the uh, U.S. factory manufacturing activity slowed in February as new orders contracted, again, because of you-know-what. And uh, also, the uh, job growth went the other way. Job growth was strong. U.S. employers maintained a strong pace of hiring in February, giving the economy a strong boost heading into the virus outbreak. The Labor Department's closely watched monthly employment report on Friday showed solid wage growth and the unemployment rate falling back to near a 50-year low of 3.5%. 
and uh, non-farm payrolls increased by 273,000 jobs last month. You can thank the unseasonally mild weather for that. It continued to boost hiring in weather-sensitive sectors, particularly in the housing industry, because we were able to work outside. And so... uh, The uh, trade deficit narrowed in January, exports and imports fell, and again, it's because of you-know-what. The U.S. manufacturing sector slowed down, but construction spending hit a record high. So there was some other activity beside the coronavirus situation, but that was the dominating factor in the equity and bond market last week. What about the week ahead? And what about market activity? Well, we'll take a look at uh, the market activity through the eyes of Naomi Bloom. She's with Stuart Peterson in West Bend, Wisconsin. She'll be joining Max Armstrong when we continue on the markets. Orion here. And if you are looking to increase your profit per acre, and who isn't these days, then I urge you to check out Flora. F-L-U-R-A has cultivated premium genetic hemp strains from a company of innovators, farmers, and researchers that deliver the highest quality seeds and the infrastructure you need to support your farming operation. Call Jeffrey at 3 one two two oh six eighteen sixty four check out flora.com it has been a while it's been too long since naomi bloom has been in our studio we welcome her back from total farm marketing with Stuart peterson did i get that right as close it's perfect I? max is perfect <laughs> well here we are getting close to spring we're just days away and the weather of the past few days Without uh, snow blowing and without blizzard conditions right over the heartland, generally speaking, got some people thinking about the fact we might not be too many days away from planting. Everybody's certainly engaged in wanting to get it done quickly this year, if they possibly can, in a window of opportunity, correct? Oh, for sure. After last year, everyone is really, I think, chopping at the bit to try to get anything done as soon as they can. So this uh, nice window of warmth, I think, is encouraging people. And then we'll see. You know, Some weather forecasts are still calling for rainy and wet spring. Some are trying to say, no, maybe it won't be that way. So um, I think as soon as there's opportunity, those planters are definitely get rolling because I don't think producers want to deal with another repeat of 2019 for this spring. Growers have had plenty to do in recent days. We saw many of them attending meetings, of course, uh, where we saw you at Commodity Classic. Uh, many have been out there checking field tiles, doing some repair work on field tiles. Several have been busy checking their bins and trying to uh, perhaps move out-of-condition corn. That really is a challenge this year, isn't it? That's a very common theme in conversations that we're having with clients. I would say one out of five clients is either legitimately struggling with out-of-condition corn or corn that's about to go out of condition. So it is a very real factor. They're trying to move that product sooner than later because they're really not confident that it can stay in condition um, until a summer rally. So um, I'm very curious to watch how the basis will be moving and fluctuating in the coming 
two to three weeks because there is going to be, I, I do feel, some grain coming to market. Part of that is um, road conditions. Part of it is that people have time now before planting. And part of it is that they just need to get that um, out-of-condition crop out of the bin. And we'll see if basis can stay strong and continue as this new grain comes onto the marketplace or does basin soften up a little bit. So um, that's what I'm watching first and foremost continues to be basis, which right now continues to be stronger than normal across the Midwest. Sometimes in the spring we see basis gyrations due to flooding along the waterways and we're not seeing right at the moment, knock on wood, that uh, spring flooding that many had feared, are we? Yeah. I mean, there was there was quite a bit of concern about it just a few weeks ago. Right. That was one of the thoughts that would be there. But I think with this gradual kind of warm-up that we're having, and um, if you're into the old wives' tales, you know, we have the birds like robins and the um, red-winged blackbirds are back in Wisconsin, which is three weeks too soon. So there's signs of spring, and hopefully we don't have that disastrous flooding again. Um it would just be, I think, devastating emotionally and mentally to too much of the farm community to have another repeat of that. With the gyrations in the equity markets, of course, that hasn't gone unnoticed by uh, folks in the commodity business. Uh, they've been uh, responding up and down. That really hasn't been enough to... Uh offer opportunity to growers, has it? It hasn't done too much as far as the the corn and soybean market, as far as um, price movement. Of course, we had a little bit of a pullback uh, last week while we were all at Commodity Classic, but we had a recovery bounce early this week. The biggest thing to keep in mind is that seasonally, a lot of times, corn and soybean prices just drift a little bit lower throughout the month of March. But what market has been affected by the coronavirus scares is the livestock sector, uh, specifically cattle that had a tremendous drop lower on fears that consumers maybe wouldn't be going out to eat or businesses having to cut back on travel. So therefore, there wouldn't be as many steak dinners out there. Um, but then I wonder, hey, it's going to be a nice weekend. Maybe we're going to see some steaks being grilled around the Midwest that way. Um, but the the cattle market is the one that's being, I think, mostly affected by the coronavirus fears. Coronavirus. We really don't have any basis for comparison, do we? I mean, people harken back to the SARS episode, but really it's nothing quite like this. No, because obviously, you know, but with SARS, that was a decade ago, and the Chinese economy is much different than it was a decade ago. The whole world economy is different than it was a decade ago. We're much ago. more intertwined. Absolutely. So this is new territory for all of us. Looking back at SARS, it felt like um, the market did its uh, gyrations in terms of the stock markets for about two or three months and then kind of simmered down. Um, but the SARS wasn't over and done with until summer when, you know, it was finally able to be done transmitting through people. So coronavirus, of course, now starting to pop up a little bit more in the United States. We're hearing things about it. It'll be very interesting to see if there's any quarantine efforts within our country over the next two to three to four weeks. Um, but I think if we can get through that, we'll be in the clear and then life will start resuming like normal as we know it. So for all of the talk about a slowdown in the growth of the Chinese economy and the possibility they may not fulfill their promised buying under the phase one trade agreement that we have with China, is there the possibility that they may, in fact, come to the United States uh, to buy and, and especially buy what they traditionally did, soybeans, after they finish up with buying from Brazil? Yeah, well, I think there's a few anecdotes of um, friendliness coming along the way in terms of Chinese buying. They've been big buyers of sorghum the past two weeks. Um, my clients and clients in Kansas have said that sorghum basis was at zero, now is positive 65. So there is that demand there. We are hearing that there's a potential vaccine for the African swine fever. Now, if that is true and China is able to have their hands on that 
vaccine, well, now they're back in business as far as ramping up their production of pork. In the meantime, they're going to still need to buy from us, but then there's going to be this new demand of grain because they need to feed the pork and and that's going to be raised over that area. Um, Along with these lower prices, it's on sale. China is always wanting to buy on a discount. So now if we have a seasonal sell-off throughout the month of March, I have a strong suspicion that they're going to come in and buy as much as they can on sale between energies, between cattle prices being low, between the dairy prices dropping, hog prices being lower, and of course the grains. It's an opportunistic time. And Sonny Perdue even said recently he thinks that China's going to come in and buy beans at the end of spring to early summer, which, hey, seasonally, that's usually when beans are pretty cheap around here at the at the middle part of May and before we get a summer rally. He made the comment in uh, Capitol Hill testimony, as I recall, just the yes. other day. Uh, thank you. So I thought that was kind of interesting that he staked out a position on mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I've heard some analysts say they believe the Chinese might, in fact, be uh, coming into buy to try to run up the price a little bit, it's, uh, which would be uncharacteristic for them because they like to depress the price and buy. But uh, the rationale that this analyst offers was that they would then be able to quickly fulfill their promises to buy that grain from the United States. Interesting perspective. They've promised to buy $40 billion somehow. Yeah, and that's not even priced into the marketplace yet. If they actually show up and buy what they said they're going to buy, it is not priced in the marketplace yet. So um, that along with the strong basis, you know, I'm, I'm watching all of that because if you are a producer who have recently made cash sales for whatever reason – you are going to want to reown it when we finally see a market low. We haven't seen it yet, and, and it may take until the middle of May. But when we see that bottoming signal, I think you're definitely going to want to be reowning the crop that you've recently sold. And then partake of the rally this summer and make sure you're unloading old crop sales and start focusing on the new crop sales. Um, but in the meantime, it just is going to probably be more of a quiet marketplace. How do farmers feel? You and I visit with a lot of growers, and we did at Commodity Classic. I tend to maintain that uh, those maybe aren't always your typical producers. A lot of folks who attend meetings such as Commodity Classic are uh, very sharp operators. They uh, run a very uh, close business. They are on top of their marketing, so they might be a a little more business-oriented than others and might be a little more uh, upbeat. Uh, and, and, of course, the Purdue survey, the Purdue CME monthly survey, which gyrates all over the place. The peaks and troughs of that weekly or the monthly survey are uh, rather striking, it seems, how much the farmer sentiment, according to that survey, swings back and forth. But what's your feeling about how growers uh, are feeling about their situation right now? Um, it's finally changing. So in January and February, um, many producers were down in the dumps. You could just see the emotional terror and the, the mental anguish that they were still going through from the late harvest, you know, people who were still dealing with harvesting crops into January and all of that. And so finally, I think just in the last two weeks, and I did notice it at Commodity Classic, there was a newfound optimism. There was a newfound, okay, we're going to tackle 2020. We're going to make this be our year. And it was more of a resilience that I hadn't seen in a long time, and right. it was refreshing. It was so it was, refreshing. Wasn't it? Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of people who point out that producers are still struggling with the lower prices, and so we do need to have um, a great summer rally of some sort, and then we need to really encourage producers to be using that as an opportunity to be making those sales because that is your time that you can make those profitable sales. Your astute observations are always appreciated. Good to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Max. Naomi Bloom, Total Farm Marketing from Stuart Peterson.
The farm activity calendar started to slow down this past week, and it's going to slow down even more with weather turning the way it is. I think giving farmers and ranchers across the country some optimism over better weather this year than we had in twelve or in two thousand and nineteen, and the uh, National Pork Producers Council held its annual meeting this week. The National Pork Producers elected new officers and members of its board of directors at the National Pork Industry Forum held in Kansas City. And the new president is Howard Roth, hog producer from Wazika, Wisconsin. He's a fifth-generation farmer, owning and operating Roth feeder pigs. In addition to serving on the NPPC board for the past eight years, he previously sat on the Wisconsin Pork Association board and currently serves as chairman of the association's Swine Health Committee. Uh, He takes over from David Herring, a hog farmer from Lillington, North Carolina, who becomes the NPPC immediate past president and chairman of the council's trade and nominating committee. Some of the topics that took up discussion and uh, had a role in the resolutions that were approved, they want to strengthen efforts to prevent African swine fever. That's the deadly Hog disease doesn't impact humans, but it kills hogs. Nearly half of the hogs in China, of course, have died since that uh, country was hit with yet another disease. And then we want to mention this. This time of the year when mom and dad are beginning to see the uh, cost of the college education as they have high school graduates getting ready to go into college, And, uh, yeah, that's kind of a sticker shock situation. But there are scholarships, and I talk about this every year. There are many scholarships available to agricultural students all across the country from different organizations, from different companies. But the thing I always say, that scholarship money will not come looking for you. So you have to go and find it. And... Just to point out that it's there, the National Pork Producers Council awarded scholarships to 10 college students who intend to purchase careers in the, or pursue careers in the pork industry. And here are the names of the 2020 winners of the $2,500 scholarships. Dane, Dana Edelman, South Dakota State University, Grace Greiner, Iowa State University, Molly Kroger of South Dakota State University, Nolan Linnis of Iowa State University, Ethan Stass of Pennsylvania State University, Logan Tesh of South Dakota State, Zanna Tyndall of North Carolina State University, Caitlin Wildman of Iowa State, Drew Wiley of Kansas State, and Isaac Wiley of Iowa State. All of those are getting $2,500 scholarships to pursue and continue their college education. Congratulations to them all. And again, let me say, scholarship dollars are out there, but they won't come looking for you. You have to go looking for them. Uh, Sticking with the uh, 
hog in the pork situation, president signed signed the uh, agreement to uh, present uh, money to hire additional uh, investigators and checkers at entry points to the United States to keep out African swine fever and the other diseases that we want to contain. Federal government preparing to contain and eradicate African swine fever if it spreads to the United States to avoid the type of devastation seen in China where the disease has cut the herd in China by more than 40%. And the legislation that made it through the House and the Senate and was signed by the President added 720 additional inspectors at airports and at seaports and at other entry points to the United States to keep these deadly diseases out of the country. As a matter of fact, if you look at the China situation, we've had the bird flu, and then we've had the African swine fever. Now we're also having, of course, the human disease, coronavirus, and uh, people are probably beginning to wonder why does so much of that originate in China? When I first visited China in 1976, most of the livestock production was on collective farms. But besides the collective farms, there were a lot of backyard herds. I mean, small flocks of chickens, small herds of pigs, all in the backyard. All but impossible to discover disease when it starts and then to keep it from spreading. China indeed does have a challenge with human and livestock diseases. Well, that's our time for this week. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson on The Markets. <laughs> 